Our scripture reading for today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. These are the words of Jesus. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, teach us to love like you love. Lord, not just our friends, but those with whom we disagree. Lord, help us to tear down the walls that divide and open up the goodness of your kingdom to all people. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. I was so excited to get my first copy of John Wesley's sermons, the first volume. I was sure that those sermons would be life-changing, that they would be a real game-changer for my ministry. So the Wesleys launched one of the most successful Christian movements of all times. The Methodist movement swept across two continents. Eventually, it would go worldwide. During John Wesley's lifetime, he had written record of over 30,000 Methodists. These were men and women who gathered every week to share in mutual spiritual accountability with one another. These were devout Christians that came out of a movement that God started through him and his brother and his family so I dug in. I was ready to learn his secrets. I wanted his success. I wanted his results. <clears throat> the, these pages, I was sure, would hold some kind of deep mystery that would tell me how to do the kind of ministry that Wesley did. Uh, maybe they would explain prophecy like the 70 week of Daniel, or they would clear up the revelation for me. Uh, maybe Wesley would give me a clear view of the end times so I would know how to warn people and gather them into the kingdom. Uh, maybe his teachings would, would, uh, it would illustrate for me the, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, healing, prophecy, word of knowledge, and speaking in tongues. I was ready to learn and soak up all that he had somewhere in this volume of sermons must be the mystery, the secret of what worked for Wesley, and I was going to learn it. I had high hopes, and I was disappointed. What I found was a very redundant message on one topic, love. I was sure that couldn't be it. Everybody knows that we're supposed to love. Everybody that's been around church knows that that's the a central part of the message, there must be more to it. Wesley must have discovered some kind of deeper secret. So I kept looking, I kept digging in, and what I found is that John Wesley was hung up on that one idea, love for God and love for others. It took me too long to discover that he was right. His sermons were, in fact, life-changing for me. 
but not in the way I'd expected. Really all Wesley did was remind me of what scripture makes plain. Without love, we've accomplished nothing. According to 1 Corinthians 13, if I give away all my wealth and don't have love, I've done nothing for God. Even if I deliver my body to be burned, if I sacrifice my very life for the sake of ministry, but I don't have love, then it's useless. It's a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. The love Jesus is talking about is agape. It's unconditional love. Paul goes on to explain what that love looks like in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, and does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. That one hurts. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the love that Jesus talks about in agape. That's the love to which we are called. That's the way that Jesus called us to not only love our friends, but also our enemies, those with whom we disagree. Uh, Since my childhood, I was taught that I should love everyone, that Christians love everybody. And I was convinced that I did because I said I did. You know, as a child, it was enough for me to say, yeah, I love everybody. And well, it must be true because I said it. But when I look at Paul's description of that love, I realize that I come up way too short, that I have missed the mark so terribly bad so many times. And that's sad because that kind of love for God and others is the most important goal we can have as Christians. There's nothing higher to which we can obtain. That should be the one thing that we seek for more than anything else. Because many people who reject Christianity do so because they don't see the love. They miss out on that central tenet of the faith. They don't see it sometimes in Scripture. They flip through the pages of the Bible and they read stories of a God who orders the destruction of the Canaanite people. And they question, how can this genocidal God be worthy of our worship? They also, sadly, don't see that kind of love too often in our actions. I remember years ago, I was watching TV and I came across an episode of a show that Bill Maher did. Now, Bill Maher is an atheist. He's a, he's a political comedian, offers political commentary on sorts of things. And uh, this, Bill Maher did this episode not long after U.S. troops killed Osama bin Laden. And I didn't like hearing what he had to say, but he was right. And it stuck with me and it still makes me think today. Bill Maher called us Christians out. He pointed out the fact that following bin Laden's death, that Christians were out in the streets celebrating the death of our enemy, that we were out rejoicing over the killing of our enemy. Now, perhaps bin Laden needed to die. I know he was responsible for thousands of American lives and would have probably taken more. Maybe killing him was our only option. 
But Bill Maher correctly points out that Christians have no room to rejoice at the death of our enemies. I mean, nonviolent enemy love was kind of Jesus' thing. Jesus called us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, that that's what singles us out. Bill Maher, the atheist, realized how hypocritical it is for Christians to celebrate the demise of our enemies. The guy that we say we worship suffered death on a cross rather than retaliate against his enemies. He calls us to suffer alongside him. Bill Maher recognized that, and he really held my feet to the fire on it. If we are who we say we are, then we can't rejoice when our enemies hurt. When we fail to love, it creates barriers between people and the gospel. They can't see the love in us. And love is our calling card. It's the thing that describes us. It's the thing that sets us apart. On the other hand, when people see it, when people see that incredible kind of love in us, they are drawn to Christ. In a previous appointment, I had a young woman, a teenage uh, a, a teenager, high school student, walk into my study. She had been visiting our church, visiting worship, not really because she wanted to. She was coming with her aunt and uncle with whom she lived. But she sat down in my study and she said, Preacher, I don't really believe this stuff. I was tempted to try to explain our faith to her, to argue her into Christianity. But uh, fortunately, I held back. Somehow, I resisted that urge. Instead, what I did is I invited her to hang around. I said, I invite you to just hang around and, and see how this church loves and see if that changes your mind. I didn't make any, I didn't quote any Bible verses. I didn't make any theological arguments. I said, watch how this church loves. I'm impressed she did that. She hung around. She showed up to help us pack backpacks full of food for uh, under-resourced under children to take home so they would have something to eat over the weekends when they were out of school. Uh, we called it Backpack Buddies. She showed up at Christmas time and helped hand out Christmas presents to under-resourced families. We had 40 or 50 families that got Christmas presents because of the love of our congregation. She showed up and helped as we handed out new tennis shoes to students going back to school. She saw that our folks did that out of pure love, expecting nothing in return. It wasn't long after that that she came and sat back down in my study again and she said, okay, I've decided I want to be baptized. See, I didn't persuade her into baptism. Love did. Love for God and love for others convinced her that our message is true. And I had the incredible joy of baptizing her. If we're to win the next generation for Christ, it will not be through doctrines and orthodoxy. Those seem to divide people. Just look at the mess we're in right now. Liberals, conservatives, progressives, evangelicals, fundamentalists, the list goes on and on. We're at war with one another. We're tearing apart the body of Christ while the world is watching and seeing that our message doesn't appear to be true. They don't see the love. We will not win people over. We will not win the next generation by having a better argument. We will win them with a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love, like Wesley did. Wesley went out and preached to coal miners on the way to and from 
the mines. They worked seven days a week. They couldn't come to the church, and so he went out and preached in the field to them. Uh, by the way, field preaching was something he considered disgusting, but he chose, in his own words, to become more vile that he might reach them. And thousands of people came to faith in Christ through that field preaching. In Methodist class meetings every week in 18th century England, royalty and commoners came together. It was virtually the only place that dissolved class distinctions in 18th century England. Royalty and commoners would gather in class meetings to hold one another accountable to spiritual disciplines. They interacted as equals, loving one another in spite of all of the class distinctions of that time period. Radical, outrageous love is the most direct way to introduce people to Jesus Christ. It's the most direct way to introduce people to God because God is love. See, God's not just calling us to go beyond the walls. God is calling us to tear down the walls. A certain sports story from my childhood caught my attention. It really confused me at the time. I saw a news story. It was a video of Coach Bryant and Suge Jordan out on a fishing trip together. Now, I was confused. Coach Bryant, of course, was the legendary coach at the University of Alabama. Suge Jordan was the coach at, at Auburn University, and the two are arch rivals. At my young age, I, my church had taught me that we were supposed to love everybody, but my culture had taught me that Auburn and Alabama are supposed to hate each other. Uh, that the rivalry is bitter and it's long-lasting. Uh, I couldn't imagine how the head coaches could get along being in the same boat fishing together. And quite frankly, I was a little angry at Coach Bryant for hanging out with the enemy coach. I asked my dad about it. He explained to me that off the field, uh, Coach Bryant and Coach Jordan were friends, that friendship could be bigger than football. Well, I didn't quite believe it. But he was right. He was right that there's so much in this life that doesn't have to divide us. We don't have to let it divide us. We can tear down those walls. We can reach across the divides. So let's try it. Let's start with something manageable. This week, could we dare to do one act of kindness for someone with whom we disagree? Just one thing. Could we do one act of kindness this week for someone with whom we disagree. They will know we are Christians by our love.